0: How many are you looking forward to Christmas? Yeah. One or two? Others are just struggling to cope with it all, eh? Christmas is an interesting time. For some, it's a wonderful time because of uh, family and connections with family. For some, it's not a good time because of family and connections with family. And uh, for others, it's uh, a time of sorrow because family members are missing. So it's a very, very mixed time, isn't it? And uh, so we have many families. But it's a great time for us to just, uh, at this comes, to come to the end of the year, to start to relook at where we're going and what we're doing and uh, one of the things that happens when you're with family is you suddenly become reminded of things you may have overlooked or didn't want to notice and uh, i want to just speak uh, a message and share a message today on generational blessing generational blessing and you say well i'm too young to worry about that no 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 you're not too young start now don't make the mistakes we made learn from what we learned and uh, for those who are watching online, we just want to welcome you to this message. I know it's going to be a blessing for you. There'll be an opportunity for you to respond. And whatever God is saying to us here and doing to us here, He will want to touch you wherever you are watching. Uh, wherever you are in the world, we just say welcome and a very Merry Christmas. Anyway, let's open our book, our, our Bible up in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. While you're finding Galatians 3, 13 and 14, let me just start with a couple of thoughts. Every choice we make makes it easier for those that follow us or more difficult. Most of the trouble we face today is we live in a world where people think about themselves and don't consider that God designed us to be interconnected so that what we do has an impact on those around us. So negative things and families have a way of reproducing and continuing generation to generation. It was never God's intention. And I want you, as we see this message today, I want you to think, that if you're struggling or come from a family where there are cycles of pain and difficulty and problems, maybe God put you in the family for the purpose of bringing an end to that and building something different for the next generations. I tell you, when you get that, Conti, get that revelation that God put me here to be the agent of change in my family line. I am a gift of God to my family. How about that? And uh, it doesn't matter what's happened before you, you determine what happens after you. And so we all have that, 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 that opportunity to make that decision. Proverbs 13 tells us a godly man makes uh, uh, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. In other words, a person who is walking with God who understands the heart of God, realizes he's more con- not just concerned about our life, he's concerning about our children and our grandchildren. He's interested in three generations and more. And that's why we want to talk about this. This is the heart of God. So in, gener- in uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Now Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, "Curses everyone that hangs on a tree. So that... So, it wasn't just about the negatives, it's about something coming into being. So, many times when people are celebrating Christmas, all they're thinking about is a baby in a manger, they don't realize He came and was born into this world for the purpose of revealing what God is like as a loving Father, for making the Father known to us, and then for accomplishing on the cross a work which would make it possible for cycles of cursing to be broken and for us to be introduced into blessing, not just for us, but for our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. Notice what it says here, he redeemed us. That word redeem means to pay a full price. If you think about Jesus' death on the cross, the suffering, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every kind of way, the shame he carried, that's an enormous price and he paid the price to break something that is real. If it wasn't real, he wouldn't have paid such a big price. He he paid a price to break something that's real and bring about something also that's very real and very valuable and very precious. He paid a price on the cross to break the curse of the law, to break cursing from our lives, whatever that means, and to introduce us into the blessing that was put upon someone who went before us to introduce us to a generational blessing that we would carry it and bring it to our children and grandchildren and so on. So when it says curse, what does it mean? A curse is a cycle of failure and defeat. It usually occurs generationally and it's empowered supernaturally. For many people in the Western culture, we don't think of the supernatural too much. We think in terms of cause and effect and natural things and we don't understand That if you look into families, if you look at the problems of families, you look at the cycles of things that go wrong generation after generation, it's not because people wanted that. It's because somehow they were powerless to stop it or didn't know how to stop it. And when they tried, their efforts weren't enough. Every one of us here will be living out experiences of the things that were in our family background that hurt us or set us back or have been a hindrance to us, and they were a hindrance not just to us, but they were a hindrance in the background, maybe to our father or mother, maybe our grandparents, maybe it's gone back a long way. So we're wrestling to overcome things that no one perhaps in our family line has ever overcome. It may be that you're the first one who will break through and your breakthrough makes the way for the whole cycle to change something different for the future. And that's what we want to talk about. We're talking about curses and and, and blessings. So many children suffer spiritually and emotionally. They suffer physically. They suffer financially. And the reason they're suffering is a cycle of defeat living in the families. It comes through the family line. It comes through the family background. They enter life disadvantaged. Disadvantage means you're behind. Disadvantage literally means this. Let me read it out to you. It means we enter life, and it says disadvantage, unfavorable condition that makes achievement difficult. So a curse is like a headwind right through your life. A curse is like an invisible force pushing back on you, making it harder for you to succeed, and frustrating you when you should succeed. So a curse puts us at a distinct disadvantage. It's like starting life behind the ball, starting life on a lower level, starting life, and you're struggling to get to where other people already have arrived. Whereas a blessing, what is a blessing? Blessing is a cycle of success and prosperity and achievement that is supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. So blessing is very real. Blessing is empowered by God. When the blessing of the Lord is on us, just the blessing of God makes us rich, adds no sorrow. So when God's blessing is on your life, you get favor, you get access, you get uh, chosen when others don't get chosen. You get doors open when others don't get doors open. You have things come together. You get, things begin to fall into place. It's like you have a tailwind. It's like somehow you are lucky. But you're not lucky. There is something working with you something helping you, invisible but real. Curses are invisible but real. They stop people, they hurt people, they frustrate people, they leave people angry, they leave people in deep grief and sorrow because their best efforts still fall apart. That's why Jesus died on the cross, why he came into this world. He wanted to break the pattern of that over our lives. He wanted to end the cycle. That was introduced when Adam chose, instead of thinking generationally, instead of thinking about the future generations, instead of living a life that would bless them and advance the kingdom of God, instead he lived for himself, extracted the most out of what he could get on that day, and the result was havoc and catastrophe for generation after generation of those who followed him. Jesus came to break that cycle that goes right back to Adam. Jesus came to break something that hurts us, break something that frustrates us, break something that you'll be reminded of at family time this Christmas. Because often when families come together, the pain and the unresolved issues, the conflicts, the the difficulties, the invisible things that are operating in the spirit are felt at that time. Jesus came to break that cycle. That's why it said when he was introduced to the world, Peace and goodwill to men. God is wanting to bring peace, wanting to bring healing, wanting to bring blessing into families again. He wouldn't want blessing, see? So, bless. So the blessing. Another definition of the blessing is when God puts or places tangible benefits on a person or group of people because of something someone did before them. I'll say it again. God's blessing is when tangible benefits, financially, emotionally, relationally, come onto a person or a group of people, a family or a body of people, because someone paid a price to walk with God earlier on. You may have struggles in your walk with God, but you don't know that you are the pioneer who's breaking forth to make a new future for those who are going to come behind you. And it's not just your family and the the generations in your family. There's the people who you can disciple and influence and help as well because you got the breakthrough. When you have a family legacy of poverty and you're broken through financially, something has changed. And God's plan is that it would end at that point and something new starts, cycles of blessing. Sadly... People keep what they've broken through to themselves and don't know how to pass it on. So I found over and over and over, Christians get a breakthrough in their life, whether it's in their marriage, their relationship, their personal life, healing from some trauma, but instead of actually ensuring that the blessing flows to others, they hold it and then it ends in one generation. Their children receive the tangible benefits, but not the source that would keep the blessing flowing. Oh, you're all getting so quiet now. So if you are blessed, you have an advantage. Here's what an advantage is. See, you enter life with an advantage if there's blessing in your family. If God's blessing is on your family, you have an advantage in life. It's a superior position, a higher ground, something that uh, brings a great benefit to you. So I'll put it to you this way. You can see I come down here, stand down the bottom here. So if we are disadvantaged, it means we start behind everyone else behind educationally, behind relationally, we've got traumas to get over, there's abuse in the family, divorce in the family, there's all kinds of things in the family, we've got to get over those things before we can even get in the game. Come on, that's, the, that's what it means to be cursed. So it means you're starting your, your life and your playing fields down here, and the life of someone who's walking in a godly family is up there. You've already started behind. That's why these things, it's important they be resolved. It's important that we don't be content just to come to church, but we must commit to grow and break through the things that have been a part of our past so that those ahead of us can get the benefits of it. That's why we have healing and deliverance and, and seminars and so on through the year. It's to help you grow. Some of the worst attended ones if we run a marriage seminar. Yet that's the greatest need, because of the hidden roots that go right back into family. And usually people, instead of investing in their growth and committing to go forward and to learn how to walk in the blessing of God in their marriage, in their family, in their personal life, they wait till there's a crisis and come, come and solve it for me right now. Fix it with one prayer. That's not the life we're called to live. We're called to walk in a blessed life, to follow the ways of God and build intentionally. The Bible tells us that the word for a son, the word means to be a builder of the father's household. So in other words, when God brought Adam into the earth, he brought him in as a son to be a builder and expander of his family. When we get born again into the family of God, you're called not just to come along to church. That is a total, total distortion of God's plan. We're called to be sons and daughters. We're called to be builders. So first of all, we believe and access the presence of God, access relationship with God. Then we become something. And we're going to look at it. I'll show you this in the verses in a moment. God calls us to become something. So your first step is to believe and start to access the things of God. Second is to become something. We're in all in the process of becoming. And then thirdly, we're called to be a builder. And you'll see it very clearly that God's blessing on you is so you will be a builder. If you're not a builder, you can't call yourself a son, maybe a baby or a child, but not a son. We're all called to be builders in the kingdom of God. And God has set up a pattern of reward in eternity for those who are builders. Can't get into that today, but let me just... So so we want to be... We want to bless. We want to grow in blessing. We want to be a blessing to others. Now, why don't you have a look at me in Isaiah 61? It's where I want to focus... Uh, just what I want to share on today. Isaiah 61. Now, you're familiar with the first few verses. These are favorite ones of the And uh, verse 61, verse 1, this is how Jesus began his ministry. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. So we know that. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? And I've I've read that verse. I love that verse. My favorite one, I guess. And uh, because it talks about the anointing, the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. The word anointing means to be empowered by the Spirit or to have the Spirit of God working upon and with you and through you because God has an assignment to you fulfilled. So, anointing is not just so you can shake and rattle and roll and fall over, anointing is to accomplish a design, a purpose God designed for your life. You want more anointing? Become dear to God and embrace more responsibility, and He'll open up more for you. The anointing is given in proportion to your assignment. Most people want more of the anointing so they can impress people rather than actually bigger assignments so they can become a greater person. In the kingdom of God, serving is the way to greatness. So Jesus has said He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what was the anointing for? Now, as we open up the passage, I discovered as I was meditating on it one time just recently. I realized there was a lot more in it than I'd ever seen before. And we tend to focus just on the first part, which I'm not gonna focus on today. But let me just identify what it says. is that Jesus came into this world and he was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reveal the heart of the Father, to show what God is like. So here's what he was called to do. This is what the Spirit of God empowered him to do. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, get you to connect back to God as your loving Father. To show that it's sin separates us and that by repentance, we can come back into relationship, experience God as our father, and we become his son instead of an illegitimate child, an orphan child in the world, we become connected to God as a heavenly father. But he doesn't stop there. He said he came to heal the brokenhearted. Because when we come into a relationship with God, there are still parts of our soul, parts of our life which are fractured, which are broken, which are damaged, we carry unresolved griefs, sorrows, there's traumas. There's various things that have hurt us in life and begin, and we've built walls of defense, walls and barriers to keep ourselves. We built structures that, that kept us safe and yet they locked us in. And and so Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. It's an important ministry. If your heart is not healed, you will live behind walls you have built and you won't develop the relationships you want to develop. It takes a commitment to do this. We must invite and let the Lord come into those broken places and bring healing. Otherwise, you're wrestling with the same things your parents have wrestled with. You've been positioned for something greater, but you're not entering it because your heart's still broken. Thirdly, he says, to preach deliverance to the captives. People need deliverance. Why do they need deliverance? Because this world is infested with evil spirits that enter people's life through sin, through traumas, through brokenness, through all kinds of things, and then hold them in a prison house, a prison house of sorrow, a prison house of grief, a prison house of oppression, prison houses of addiction. They hold people. They literally seize hold of them and torment them and there are multitudes of people like that. Wherever I go, I find people like that. That's why I'm sort of needed everywhere in the world at the moment, because there are so many people like that. There are pastors needing this prayer, needing deliverance, needing healing. There are senior leaders and ministries needing healing, needing deliverance. This is a global problem. This is what Jesus came to do. Everywhere he went, people were healed. People were delivered. People were set free. People came into liberty. That's what he came to do. It says to, to, to give uh, sight to the blind. That's to put vision back. Not just physical, but to get vision back for who you are, what you're called to do in life. Many people are still blind spiritually. They've got no idea, why am I here? What am I called to do? Where am I life going? And, and you can tell they like that because the way they live their life. It's week to week or day to day or moment to moment rather than living intentionally with purpose and doing something to build. At the end of your life, you see whether you built anything. Best if you stop and say, what am I building for God now? So God puts vision into our life. He came to uh, uh, set at liberty those who are oppressed, meaning to lift the limitations. Many of us have limitations, the limitations of wrong beliefs. I'm a failure. I could never do that. Or the limitation of shame. Something's wrong with me. So there are certain things that come around our life that create restrictions and limitations. So you're born into this world and you are disadvantaged. Everyone else is up there and you're down here. And whenever you try to climb up another step, it's hard to get up there because there's these beliefs that keep triggering off. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I never make it. Those are the things that Jesus came to set us free from. He wants you to be positioned not from a place of cursing and disadvantage. He wants to lift you up, right up into here and say, you're on a whole new playing field now. Start to live on that playing field. Start to explore that playing field. Start to learn to walk in the blessing. You don't have to stay back here in your past in the place of cursing. God wants to shift us out of that. And so the anointing was to shift us to minister the power of God so we could be shifted onto a new playing field. However, you could stay down there if you don't let God into your heart. Don't let him work in the places that you're hurt and broken if you just keep repeating the cycles that you have grown up with. We must commit to the path of growth. We must commit to the path of change. Others are waiting for our breakthrough. Don't live with it. And this Christmas, if you start to notice some old patterns, some old ways, some old things, take a note of them. And as you get into the new year, say, God, let's have a talk about that. I want to work on these areas. you say amen to that? Okay, now I want to go on to where this is the bit I already want to work is 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 when Jesus, when he quoted this verse, he quoted what his job description was. This is what I'm called to do. This is my job. If you're a believer, you're called to carry on the ministry of Jesus. But there's a purpose for him getting us connected to the Father, healing the broken heart, getting us delivered. There is a purpose for it. and You see in the following verses, it outlines them very clearly. What God has in mind. Not that you just come to a seminar and that's it. Not that you come on an altar call and that's it. Much more than that. He wants you to become something and he wants you to do something. I want to show you what the Bible tells us here. God calls us to become something. See, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and so on, all is anointed and so on. He said, here it is, to, verse three, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Here it is, <laughs> that they may be called Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Now you notice he's talking about exchange. He's talking about an exchange. So God takes something away, we receive something and we become something. God has in mind, and, and often in the Bible it will use it'll use uh, two different terms to describe the same thing. So he's saying trees of righteousness, The planting of the Lord. The word trees there means oaks. Massive, massive oak trees. And in the Bible, there's seven mentions of oak tree, and every one of them is a reference to the cross of Jesus Christ. That we will become oak trees. The oak tree was incredibly stable, very strong. It said the planting of the Lord. In other words, it's something God did to establish us. You notice that some things are taken away and other things are put in place and we grow and become the planting of the Lord, something that God is nurturing, growing. Our life is in his hands. He is tending to us. He's the husbandman. We're drawing from his life and our life is now becoming incredibly stable, incredibly strong and about to be a blessing to others. See, God is wanting you to become established, and stable, and strong. And in that journey, there's a process. Notice what he says, he will give. If he will give you something, then that means we must receive it. It's not something you earn or work to get, it's something you receive. So what's number one? What's the first thing he did? Of the three things he said he'd give us. He'd give us the, come on, read it. crown of beauty. Give us a crown of beauty. Let's have a look at it, and I'll get the reading from the original, and I'll explain exactly what it means. It talks about here, and it tells us he give us beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. Now, that's an exchange. I got ashes. Now, I'm going to get beauty. So, what does that mean? How does it happen? See, when he says beauty for ashes, first of all, ashes in the Bible are a sign of grief or mourning. They're a sign of sorrow. They're a sign of of suffering. They're a sign of someone in a deep state of distress. When Tamar had been raped, she threw ashes on her head. She went in distress and mourning. She had gone through a trauma. So ashes on the head speak of traumatic experiences, painful experiences, setbacks in life. And it says there beauty. The word beauty means literally it's, a, it's to gleam or glow. It's a headdress that was worn on a celebration day. Or in other words, a party hat. You know, you get a party hat, and blow out the, the whistles and things like that. But everyone knows it's a party hat. It's something that you dressed up in. It's something because why? There's a celebration. And so notice what the exchange is here. He will take something painful and hurtful and make something really beautiful and joyful out of it. So these three statements are all, they're kind of different ways of saying similar thing. He'll take the burned up hopes and dreams and regrets, and as we bring it to the cross, there will come out of it a great beauty in our life. There will come out of it fresh hope. There will come out of it, instead of mourning and grief and oppression, there will come out beauty. There will come out a celebration. Our life will be different. If someone is living in the grief of past traumas and things that have happened, there's usually an effect on their life that's visible, and it definitely shows up in relationships. Coming to Jesus doesn't fix it. Bringing and opening your heart and exposing those areas to his healing, you can exchange your griefs and sorrows and receive the healing benefits of what he did on the cross. He paid the price for that. Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Oil is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The oil of joy. Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy above all his companions, the Bible tells us. In other words, he was full of the joy. You look around people today, walk down the street, look at people's eyes, look at their countenance, you can see the oppression and depression. He gives us the oil of joy for mourning. That is a deep grief where I've suffered a loss. Something precious to me was taken away and I feel grieved. Something I looked for was taken away a hope that I had, a dream that I had, someone I was attached to. There's all manners of cause of mourning and grief. But basically, is there's a loss. It could be a job loss. It, could, well, it doesn't really matter. There are many losses in life. You may have hopes for your children, and then they take a path different to that, and there's a grief over the loss of that dream. So, so he's talking about carrying grief. And the Bible says that Jesus on the cross carried our griefs so that we could exchange, let go of the grief by faith and receive joy into our life that the Holy Spirit brings. It's not that you're happy because the circumstances are good. It's just now there's a joy and the burden of grief has gone. He's lifted grief off your life. He's lifted the sorrow, lifted the disappointments. He may give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What is the spirit of heaviness? It's a demonic spirit comes on people who are disappointed and brokenhearted and grieving and have suffered loss. It settles on them and it causes them to, the word literally a heaviness means to be dim or to be dark or to be darkened or despondent. So when people have got brokenness in their heart and issues in their life, there's a darkness and despondency and heaviness. There's no energy to get up and fight it. Something has wrapped itself around them and is holding them down. And the purpose of the anointing is to get that off you, is so you can exchange it and put on the garment of praise. You've got to put it on. You've got to make a decision. I will praise the Lord in the midst of my adversity. I will honor him with my lips. I will thank him. And we move straight away. We move up out of this place down here. We move into a place of enlargement and freedom. The Bible says in Psalm uh, 8, it says, uh, you've ordained praise out of the mouths of children to quiet the enemy. So if you're being harassed and tormented, get in and start praising the Lord. Start to give voice to praise. Don't mumble. Don't be silent. The silent don't praise the Lord. No, come on, give yourself to praising him. Let your heart rise up rejoice in what he did on the cross. Let the benefits of Christ come to you. See, people don't mind being sentimental. Now stand around the Christmas tree, look at little baby Jesus. Well, oh, dear Lord, how can a baby save you? See, the Bible says he was born king. See, when he's misrepresented, when he's represented as a baby you get a wrong thinking about who he really is. He was born a king. He was always a king. He created this earth. He came into his own. His own rejected him, but he was always a king. When he's a little baby, he was still a king. At 30, he demonstrated his authority. That's why he came, to set his people free. Because he's a king. He wants to bring his people out of bondage, and he did it by destroying the kingdom of the devil so we could come into freedom. We need to take hold of that. Don't just get caught up in Christmas trees and Christmas lights. Think what it is God did. Take hold of it. The best way you can honor what Jesus did is by taking hold what he did on the cross and applying it into your life, receiving by faith his blessing, his healing, his love, his acceptance. His presence. Whoa. Now, well, that's, that's all pretty good there, but it doesn't stop there. See, God is wanting to do these things so you will do something. It says to give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, government the praise the Spirit of heaviness, they may call trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord is what it's about, that He might receive honor. See, when you are living in bondage, he is not honored by that. When you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're living with an addiction that doesn't bring God honor. It brings a confusion. You say, well, you say you're a Christian, but you're still living like this. That's not going to bring honor to the name of Jesus. What brings honor, would you say? Oh, I was in that some years ago, that bondage to pornography, and God set me free. Let me tell you how Jesus set me free. I want to help you with this because I have been where you are, and I have come out of it because Jesus set me free. See, Jesus getting the honor because our testimony, my life changed, my marriage changed, my children changed, my finance changed. I got promotion. I got enlargement. I broke through. See? Now, get this. God does not bring you into the kingdom and heal you and restore you to leave you at that place. He wants you to do something. And this is the bit that's so exciting. It says, and they, who's the they that it's referring to? They are the ones who have received healing, received deliverance, received the ministry of the Spirit, received Christ, are walking with Him and becoming established in Him. And it says, they, what shall they do? They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined city, the desolation of many generations. Now you begin to see where God wants to take us and what he's wanting to do in your life in this coming year. See? There is an exchange there. God wants to do something. Here's what he wants to do. He wants, number one, for you to bring an end to the cycles of sin and pain and failure that have been in your family and in your life to this point. He wants you to bring an end to it. How do you bring an end to it? We have to identify it and bring it to the cross. We have to open our heart for the Holy Spirit to reveal those things. Sometimes it's in family occasions. We begin to see them. We begin to notice them. We begin to discover them. We become aware of them. Sometimes it's in prayer. Sometimes it's just the things. A man, I've been struggling with this a long time, but God wants to bring an end to it. Now, you are put in the family to bring an end to the destruction. You understand? And then to be a builder. To be a builder means you don't just bring an end to your pain. You start to build patterns of life and family relationships that will be different for the next generation. And that requires intentional commitment to learn how to do that. If you've walked in a dysfunctional family, grown up in a dysfunctional family, not only have you got a legacy of emotional pain and hurt and spirits and bondage and beliefs and things, you've not only got that, you've got the habits you learned. And so to shift is not just a matter of having prayer or ministry. That frees you up. Now you've got to apply yourself to learn God's ways. God's way. Let me give you an example. The Bible says in uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 2, it says, children, honor your parents, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well for you and you may live lifelong. So notice, this is one of the ways of God, honoring our parents. Now, many people have lived in pain, rebellion, and dishonor against their parents, and their life is full of things going wrong. You need to repent of that and come back to doing what God says. Put honor back where honor is due and start to walk in the principles of God. When you start to walk in that, then your life changes. And then your children, after you will see that, and their life will change as well. You must actually apply yourself to building. So notice what it says, they shall repair, they shall build. So to repair means you have to remove the rubbish. What is it in your life that that you need to remove? What is it needs to be healed? What kind of thing uh, has been in your family background that's been a a source of pain and sorrow and struggling and difficulty, and it's still in your life that you need to address and bring it to an end? That's the kind of question to ask. You say, well, I did that. I went to a seminar about uh, three or four years ago. I did all that. No, 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 no. This is a life journey. I'm still working on things. It doesn't stop. As I become aware, I come to the Lord and say, God, I see in my heart there are walls in this area. How did they get there? When did they start? What can I do to demolish the rubbish, the desolation of generations? Desolation means place which is dry and famished. It means also to be numbed or stunned. So it can refer to traumas the traumas of many generations. My dad went through traumas. His family broke up, went to the traumas of war. He carried traumas into our family. He wanted to do his very best, but he couldn't be responsible for what others did that had affected him. And the effect of that affected me. So then at some point, I have to bring an end the desolation of generations someone must do it you can't just blame the past or blame someone else or blame your parents someone has to step up and say god's hand is upon me he's anointed me i'm the one who will bring an end to that pattern i'm the one who will act as the representative of the family and bring the sin pattern to the cross and of what's gone on before me and also how I've entered in and been a part of it and carried it on. I will repent of all of these things, bring it to the cross. I'll acknowledge how much grief and pain I've carried because of this and I'll bring that grief to the cross. I will let the Lord have access. I had an area in my life I, was, I never seemed to break free of and come brighter. You seem to be always just stuck. And then I said, Holy Spirit, show me what's caused that. And he just showed it right back to being uh, birthed prematurely, having a season of three or four months separation at a time when I should be bonding, and then a second season of separation when I should be bonding, and then he showed me the deep grief and abandonment that was in my soul, not for anything I did, but just because what was happening in life, and then he showed me how it was the root cause behind the struggles in another. As I want to bring it to the cross and the pressure all left. See, someone has to have the courage to take things, open your heart about things and bring them to the Lord and humble ourselves, not to blame anyone. It's just to say, God, this is a problem and I want to, I want to be the one who is the repairer of the breach. A breach is where a wall has been broken down and the enemy can walk in and out. It's a place in your life that the devil has access to manipulate you. Someone has to own it. Someone has to own that breach and say, I'll repair it. I will come to the cross. I will explore with the Holy Spirit, how much damage has been there, how the damage got there and bring it to the cross so that the breach in the spirit is repaired, that demons have got no right of access now. Now it's closed. But then it says to rebuild or repair The damage caused by generations. Some of these things are in our family generations. Some of them go right back to Adam. But whatever it is, you you need to rebuild. So we have to commit ourselves to build different patterns. So let me give you two or three keys on it. I won't develop them. I'll just put them out to you to think about. If we're concerned about future generations, which God is, then the way to do it is to enter into prayer. Prayer and fasting. Isaiah 58, 12 tells us that the fast, if we will fast the right way, God will cause us to be the repairer of the breach. You will actually stand in prayer and deal with things at the cross. And it may be you've got to come to family members and say, I'm sorry. And put it right. So you have power to influence the next generation. The second thing is we need to. <clears throat> build and model a different lifestyle. You can actually build something different. Build in the finances, build in the relationship and the marriage, build in family time, build in family altar, build in family prayer. You've gotta build in things into your family that, that are gonna build family togetherness and unity and start to put the values. They need to learn about the source of the blessing. If your children don't learn the source of the blessing, they will eat up what you got for them and it'll all be gone. If they marry someone who isn't godly, then that ungodly person will pull them away. And again, what you wrestled to gain is taken away. That's why it's so important. Parents, just don't take up this mindset. I see it here so frequently. Oh, I've raised them all. I've done my bit, now I can just rest. No, you can't. Because have you seen your children's children marry? Who they married? Have you been praying for them? Have you been investing in prayer to bring about a godly influence over those next generations? If curses can last three generations, then blessings have to be established and fought for over three generations. You can't just assume they come. You have to wrestle for them. So if you're a grandparent, don't give up, don't quit. What you should be doing now is in prayer and intercession and holding the promise and word of God and believing specifically for things for your children's spouse, for the grandchildren, for their spouses, for the next generation so the blessing continues to flow. Place God first. Place his priorities first. He has a high priority on his family, the church. It's not a very good family sometimes. When it's good, it's really, really good. when it's bad, it's horrid. It's sort of a bit like that. But it's still God's family and he's still committed to it. So we're committed too, why? Because it's my father's family. That's why we reach out to love people, and care for people, forgive people, and bless people, honor our commitments, why? Because I want to build an example for my children. I want them to love the house of God not be exposed to criticism at home that undermines and they think, yeah, I'm out of here. You understand, if you do that, you're, you're actually losing the next generation. We can't assume because we put them in kids' church, they're going to stay on God. No, if you're a grandparent, you've got to be an intercessor now and not only an intercessor, but engage the children. Find out where they are, find each grandchild, where they are, what's going on in their life. Start to talk with them, relate with them, start to invest intentionally in them growing. Why? Because as a grandparent, you have unusual influence in their lives if you build relationship. Older people, don't you quit? You say, well, I haven't got any grandchildren. No, find some people that you can care for. Take an interest in them, become an intercessor for, pray for them then invest intentionally. If you're a parent, don't just think about coping with the stresses now. Think about building a legacy in your family that can be carried on. In the marriage, in the family life, in the way you relate to one another, the way you deal with conflicts in the family, in the family finances, how you manage your finances. We have, Joy and I have been able to reverse and change so much. It is just, if you to look at my family of origin and look at us now, They're so far, like I've come from here and I've gone right up here and up another level as well. And and it's it's the Lord's doing and it's also the influence of various people that guided us and showed us what to do because we asked. We must commit to bringing generational blessings. We must do that, that's the heart of God. So I don't know where you are in it. Maybe today you just need to make a decision to receive Christ. That's the first step into blessing. Maybe you've got a place of pain and grief and sorrow in your heart and you need to make the decision, I'm going to process it instead of letting it be there. Maybe you've got a family background of brokenness and there's certain repeated problems you say, I need to step up and start to pray and to see and stand to bring that to an end. Perhaps there's things you sing in your children and you realize, man, I am in my children, what's in me? I need to deal with it in me and then talk to my child and ask forgiveness and pray for them that they will start to walk into blessing. It's not easy, these things, because there's a warfare around the blessings. But what a wonderful thing if your children step into this world and your grandchildren step into this world and they are ahead of everyone and they are advantageous. People get envious and say, well, you got advantaged." advantage. No, I wasn't advantaged, but I became advantaged through not blaming anyone, but through giving my life to serve the Lord. And my kids are advantaged because we paid that price. But Dave and Kate, as pastors of this church, they are greatly advantaged. When we came, it wasn't a big bill; there was nothing. But a generation worked to leave an investment which now we want the next generation to succeed. We want them to go far further than we win. That's what God is looking for. He wants you to go further. He wants you, no matter where you were, He wants the children that come after you, they're going to go further. So if you didn't get anywhere financially, but now you're on the way, they get right up in here and they get a breakthrough. You didn't go to university, get education. Now here, my first grandchild's through with a university degree. Awesome. Well done. Come on, let's stand, shall we? Let's give the Lord the honor today. And perhaps you may need to respond today in some way to what God has been saying. Perhaps uh, as you're watching on the internet, you need to make a decision to receive Christ. We welcome you to make that decision right now. Perhaps there's an area of your life you need to open up and say, God, I need healing. I need to acknowledge this area, the cycle of failure. I need to make a commitment to open my life to walk into the blessing of God in this area. Perhaps it's grandparents you say, man, I've just neglected to be an intercessor, I never even thought about, never even thought about the fact that what I got could be lost in a generation. It never occurred to me. Well, it occurred to the devil. So, if it hasn't occurred to you today, it's occurred to you. Start to get into prayer. Maybe you need to say, God, today, I need to come and build an altar of prayer. I need to start my day. I need to start the coming year as an intercessor for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, for the partners that they will me to marry, for the families that will come after me. I want to stand and be the one that calls the blessing of God into being over their life. But say amen to that. Come on, I want people tonight You say, I want to become forward. I want to be such a person. God is speaking to me today. If you need to receive Christ, why don't you come to the front right now? I'll pray with you. If you need to open up your heart, there's some area you need to break through it. why don't you come right now? Come. As we sing the song, let's do that right now. You are the other Lord. Jesus, we keep the love Lord, you are worthy of the Lord. We love you, Lord. You're of the Lord. Just come. Please come. If you have a need in your life, say, Jesus, I need someone to pray with me and stand with me today. Why don't you make your way to front? Why don't you just finish with this? And I want you all to have a fantastic Christmas. Wonderful time with family, wonderful time of break and recreation. But keep the Lord always in your heart, always in your mind. You're enjoying these blessings because of him. Always be thankful to him. Anyone else wanting prayer today? Just make your way to the front right now. Just come, come, come. Just come, come. Come down all back. You say, God, you're speaking to me today. I want you to give my life afresh. the sinner's prayer ministry team don't start ministering just yet the most important thing is father receiving a son home i want us all to pray the sinner's prayer i want you to follow me in this prayer we're all going to pray together father in heaven i come to you in jesus name thank you for loving me thank you for sending jesus to die on the cross for my sin to break the curses And bring me into blessing. blessing. Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. To break the cycle of sin. I receive your forgiveness now. I receive your spirit into my heart. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. And I give you my life today. I declare I'm a child of God. God is my Father, I am home. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship. And those who need ministry, just let the ministry team know what you want in prayer for.